welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, I had the distinct pleasure to talk with my colleague, Heather Roth. Today was the attack of the Heathers in some ways. Heather Roth, R-O-F-F, she and I get confused by phone and by email very, very often. So it's fun for us to be able to collaborate and just, you know, confuse the people even more. Heather is a research scientist in the Global Security Initiative. She is also a senior research fellow in the Department of Politics and International Relations at the University of Oxford. She also has a fellowship at the University of Cambridge, and she is a cybersecurity fellow at the New America Foundation. Heather joined me today to talk about autonomous weapons systems. Now, if you've listened to the podcast in the last few weeks, you'll recall that Andrew and I talked about his ride in a level four autonomous vehicle. And right at the end of that podcast, he said, you know, we really should talk about autonomous weapons systems. And lo and behold, we had Heather Roth join us to do just that. One other very special thing about this podcast episode is that we were a little bit heartbroken that Andrew was out of town and schedules just didn't match up well enough to wait for Andrew and Heather to be here at the same time. But we were joined by cybersecurity guru Adam Dupay, who podcast listeners will know has been with us many, many times to talk about cybersecurity. So Adam joined us to bring in that cybersecurity uh, expertise and also to play the role of Andrew and interject moments about risk and risk innovation and risk thinking uh, as we think about the future. So it was really a wonderful conversation and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed it. Before we begin, as always, I would love to thank you for listening to the Future Out Loud podcast. If you haven't already found it, you might want to check out our new website, futureoutloud.org. There you can find links to all of our previous episodes and news about things that we may or may not be getting up to in the near future, uh, places we may or may not be appearing with live podcasts, which are uh, is something that we're going to be doing here in the near future. If you have an idea of a place that you might want us to do a live podcast, um, please let us know. You can tweet at us at Future Out Loud. You can contact us on our website, futureoutloud.org, or you can find us and communicate with us at Facebook at Future Out Loud. Thank you again very much for listening. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast. Thank you for telling your friends. And now, on with Heather Roth. Hi, Heather. Hi, Heather. (laughs) Hi, Adam. Hi, Heather. Hi, Heather. 
<laughs> and I should mention we don't have Andrew with us. Adam will be our Andrew Uh-oh. today. Ooh, I'm gonna talk about risk a lot. You can talk about risk a lot, <laughs> cool. and um, and if you could do it with that Cambridge inflection, that would be great. Although Heather should probably do it with that Cambridge inflection. Oh, quite. Yeah. <laughs> nice. There we go. So, because Heather is a fellow at Cambridge and also a fellow at Oxford. I am. Indeed. Nice. I'm an Oxbridge kind of gal. Yeah. But um, but we've brought you here today yes. to talk about autonomous weapon systems. Yes. So there are big, big questions to ask and um, some big problems with how people are thinking about that. Mm-hmm. So lay it on us. All right. Well, let's see. So first off, um, it's always good to give a little bit of a definition for your those people out there who do not know what an autonomous weapon system is. That would be interesting. Yeah. Like, so what is an autonomous is weapon system? Yes, yeah. thank you. In the accent, but I can't Yes. Um, <laughs> well, it depends. Actually, so the, the definition is actually kind of being contested right now, and that's part of the debate that's going on in Geneva at the UN. Mm-hmm. Um, so the United Nations Convention on Conventional Weapons has been meeting over the last several years, um, trying to get their, their minds wrapped around whether or not they need to prohibitively uh, or to preventively prohibit um, the deployment or development or use of autonomous weapon systems. Mm-hmm. But everybody says it, but then they don't have a definition of what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the U.S. government has a definition, which is um, uh, any uh, weapon systems that can select and engage uh, without intervention of a human operator. Mm-hmm. Um, the ICRC has a definition that looks more along the lines of like any system that has autonomy in its critical functions, and mm-hmm. critical functions are those related to selecting and attacking. Okay. So, um, detecting, selecting, target acquisition, weapons okay. release, things like that, fire, fire control. And so these are all, just to clarify then, these are all referring to kinetic weapon systems. In, or are they? Yeah. So in the um, in the UN discussions, they are only referring to kinetic okay. weapon systems. Um, the UN has a really hard time wrapping their minds around the fact that actually you can have non-kinetic autonomous weapon systems in cyberspace. In fact, we do have mm-hmm. them in cyberspace. Yes. Um, uh, had a cyber grand challenge. Exactly. Yes. That. Exactly. Um, you know, and there's there's a whole other you know host of them that Edward Snowden leaked as mm-hmm. well. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, it, but they they can't you know, kind of walk and chew gum at the same time. So, um, so we want to keep you know we want to kind of keep everything in these separate little piles mm-hmm. in the UN for the diplomats. Um, most also just because of the bureaucracy, they've got a group of governmental experts mm-hmm. working on cybersecurity right now, um, and those negotiations, if I'm if my sources are correct, are, are telling me that it's not going very well and it's not going anywhere. So to add complexity of like, oh, well, let's talk about autonomous weapons in cyberspace, might just like make everybody's heads explode. So, and we should be clear that we are having this conversation a few days after the, what's it called? We Wanna Cry. Wanna Cry. Yep. Yeah. Wanna Cry or Wanna Crypt. Yep. Okay. Yep. So this is all of a sudden very real. If we'd had this conversation a week ago, it would have been like, oh yeah, that's a theoretical possibility. Yeah, no, I mean like worm self-replicating systems, you know, that can go do things by themselves mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. intervention of a human operator um, are autonomous by definition. Right. Um, and if you call if you call them cyber weapons, then they are autonomous cyber weapons. Um, so. <sighs> This is hard stuff. But it is not a new thing, at least in the computer security realm. So even the first really internet worm was the Morris worm in the 80s. I mm-hmm. can't remember the exact year. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to 
want to say. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I know I don't know it 100%. Like, we talk about yeah. it in my class. It actually took down essentially the entire what was the internet at the time. Mm-hmm. So that's that had that, to be like 83. Yeah, something, I think it's around, it's yeah. early, mid-80s. Yeah. And it was so bad that basically they had to all shut down everything. Which was like 23 notes or something. Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah. update yeah. and then bring it back up because they yeah. had everyone's phone number who was on the internet and they mm-hmm. all coordinated this mm-hmm. uh, to do this. So, And we've seen even in the early 2000s we had the slammer worm, the mm-hmm. Melissa virus, all kinds of these. Mm-hmm. Essentially, just you're talking Heartbleed. about. Heartbleed. Yeah. Heartbleed, yeah. Yep. Yeah, for the SSL. Yeah, I mean there's, yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, in fact, this is mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I think well, there's so much debate right now about um, what constitutes um, an act of war in cyberspace. Mm-hmm. So the release of a wep- cyber weapon, you know, mm-hmm. what does it have to, to really do to be considered a use of force? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, this, is, this is an ongoing question. I think um, we just had some more news last week or something about this where they, somebody said, we don't really have our house in order on this. So. Well, there was a. Pr- it was I think Thursday. There was an executive order, yeah. right, on the cybersecurity. Yeah, side. Mm-hmm. yeah, and because our house is not in order, and that. But to be fair, almost nobody's house is in order when it comes to cybersecurity. Is my opinion. Well, Very that's probably fair. That's probably fair. Um, should it be the government driving that bus, or should you know? We talked about this. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm of the opinion that the top tech industries need to get together and form like a super uber alliance mm-hmm. um, and just take care of it. Mm-hmm. And because they already because it's already owned by private companies, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, cyberspace, cyber infrastructure, everything's mm-hmm. already privately owned. Mm-hmm. The government doesn't own anything. Um, now, the other part of that, right, is the government tries to exploit a lot of things. Right. Um, and so for security related purposes mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that is for good because mm-hmm. there, as we were just saying there's there are some bad guys out there we need to uh, protect ourselves mm-hmm. right but the way in which that's been going around is not really going to protect ourselves it's a short-term versus long-term kind of strategy right like yeah. if you build up um, more exploits more zero days mm-hmm. um, you're, you're more offense dominant than what does that tell your adversary he needs to be office office offense yeah. dominant as well instead of thinking like okay how can we make better defensive networks mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. how can we have self-healing networks how can we have those types of things and so um, so I think like Grok and, and other companies and that are working kind of like this area like mm-hmm. that's so that's something where I'm like, yeah, let's go down that road. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely, I could see a future. I'm not sure it's the best, but I could see a future where it becomes uh, insurance driven, right? Whereas oh, companies start buying essentially cyber protection or cyber insurance, mm-hmm. right, for cybersecurity incidents, and then the insurance companies will then drive and say, okay, you have to put these measures in place. Like they'll come up with some mm-hmm. best practices in um, order for you to still have your insurance policy, right? Exactly, yeah. or to drive down your premiums that's on really that interesting. policy. Right. Um, I've heard some security people kind of talking about that's kind of the way things should go. I don't know whether I agree with that or not, but it's an interesting idea to kick around. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's two different kind of like levels to that, right? So the first is like you know for the everyday kind of transactional cybersecurity stuff that you you and I want to do or or businesses want to have. But then there's a whole other level of like this kind of nation state. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Acting, um, and that's where I think that kind of that weapon stuff comes mm-hmm. in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we want to talk about like cyber crime and, and hacktivism and things like that. Then, 
I think that bucket of insurance looks enticing. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, once you start talking about nation states, um, and I actually hate that term, nation state, but mm-hmm. uh, it's, <laughs> I really do. I hate the term cyber, but I, I use know. it all the time. I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, when you think about like state-based um, attacks or, or state-sponsored attacks, which of course we know a lot about, um, mm-hmm. there's a, I think there's a significant qualitative difference. And, and then there's insurance isn't going to help you. <laughs> right. That's true. But That's true. I, I think it's, I think there's, the thing that sticks in my mind is this wanna cry um, recent, I don't, I don't know if we're classifying it as a worm technically or whatever. Yeah, I think it's a worm. Yeah. Uh, yeah so this attack, you could say, um, hit a lot of hospitals, mm-hmm. right? And there, I don't know that I see, saw any confirmed cases of people dying from this, but there's definitely, I mean, talk about hospitals being hit with ransomware and patient data being mm-hmm. encrypted and like that could have really severe consequences right and that's kind of a distributed problem where you have all these different various mm-hmm. sensitive organizations that the government doesn't really control and can't say you should secure your network well except it was the nhs exactly so actually and they, the government does control exactly <laughs> actually in this was other, britain and, and other governments yeah, I, and i'm sure u.s hospitals were hit they sure. just didn't report it right but yeah, not only was it britain and it's yes it's the nhs that means that it's every life in mm-hmm. great britain mm-hmm. right. which is crazy mm-hmm. to think about but yes so yeah. the government does control that and there's mm-hmm. an extra level layer of responsibility yeah, I mean, the, the patient data, there's been a, so um, my work for DeepMind, um, DeepMind has a new application out um, to help diagnose um, oh, kidney failure, I think, or? I, uh, yes, I think that's yeah. what I saw it was, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and so Streams is the name of the program, and mm-hmm. so, you know, they've done a lot of work on making sure that um, the data that they get from the NHS, mm-hmm. like they're using it correctly, and like it's all like mm-hmm. very transparent. They're using basically like a, a blockchain style yes. um, uh, way to ensure transparency mm-hmm. and accountability, mm-hmm. yep. um, which is great, right? But there's been a whole huge kerfuffle that they've even had access to some of this data That's from right. the NHS, and now it's like, well, they're trying to save patients' lives, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and all these NHS computers just got taken down because they didn't mm-hmm. patch their software. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like so. With a patch that was available, that was known. One of the things I read is that um, corporate systems are much more likely to be at risk with this um, than individuals because individuals tend to install patches much more quickly. I'd like to think that it's because they listened to our podcast with Adam from around Christmas time um, where we said, you must install (laughs) updates when they are available. Whereas, you know, large corporations, I mean, we're sitting here at ASU, and yes, today I did just get a notification from ASU, make sure your Windows systems are, you know, updated. Um, But that's, what, four or five days later? Yeah. And like, woo, that's lightning fast for a big institution. Yeah. Yeah. It is, but it makes, you know, they're making risk trade-offs, right, in their minds of every patch has Mm -hmm. with it some non-zero probability of Of failure. Yeah. Right. And so they usually do some kind of testing and make sure mm-hmm. that it's not going to cause problems. So there's probably some technological solutions there, too. I think we could do better research into doing these patches. There's also this problem mm-hmm. of security patches being uh, put in the same category as just regular updates that yep. users may or may not want. Yep. Uh, that was actually some work we looked at on Android that looked at this problem of mm-hmm. 
uh, from a developer's perspective, and I'm not going to go into it, but it's the same problem where, mm -hmm. hey, the developers, you know, if they could target the latest version, that would be awesome, but yeah. it means they have all these compatibility issues, mm -hmm. so they don't get all the awesome security updates that go along there. Right, right. So... And we've talked about that with alarm fatigue and things yes. like this. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so a whole class of autonomous weapons <laughs> that isn't even on the table. Isn't even on the table, yeah, right yeah. now for, for international discussion. So how close are we to autonomous non-cyber weapons? That's Pretty a good question. Pretty darn close, I'd say. Um, yeah, I mean, I look, we don't have any, um, well, <laughs> Let me caveat this. <laughs> <laughs> what you can't see Wake if you is can't as, tell us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as Heather is staring intently at the ceiling. <laughs> so there's a gray zone, let me put it that way, right? There's like there's a gray zone of weapon systems that can select and engage mm -hmm. without human intervention, mm -hmm. right? And so these are like close-in weapon systems, such as like the Phalanx or mm -hmm. um, Navy's um, Aegis system, which we've had for like decades, mm -hmm. um, the Patriot missile batteries, mm -hmm. um, things like this. Um, those types of systems, um, is Israel's Iron, Iron Dome, mm -hmm. um, we don't stunt really have a problem with, and people refer to them as automated and not autonomous. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a kind of sticky, you know, like, what's the, what's the ontological difference between these two things? Mm -hmm. um, and then there's another class of systems, fire and forget weapons. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, Israel has uh, the Harpy and the Harup, um, and they're developing a whole host of other ones as well um, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, can basically, you fire them, they loiter over a period of, you know, geographic area, mm -hmm. they search mm -hmm. for a target, and whatever that signal is, you know, maybe it's a hostile enemy radar mm -hmm. signal or something, and then they do a nosedive, and they explode above that. Mm -hmm. um, now, enemy radars can, are movable, sure. right, so they can be anywhere, mm -hmm. they can be on tops of schools, they mm -hmm. can be top, on tops of buses, they can That's be right. on tops of hospitals, so the, right now, those types of systems, um, I would say are autonomous, uh, mm -hmm. because they can go do all that stuff by themselves, um, but most people want to call them human supervised autonomy or fire and forget or something like this because mm -hmm. a human commander made a decision about when and where to field that particular system. Knowing the knowing risk reward trade off. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And so that kind of gets a little bit squishy in like the gray. It's like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, I mean, what human commander isn't going to ever like make that risk reward trade off, right? I mean, right. we don't have, it's not like the weapons are gonna launch themselves and be like, I'm gonna go to war today, right? Like, we hope not. Well, well right. <laughs> yeah, um, anytime soon, if we're not gonna have that. <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think right now we could identify a class of systems that are, you know, you wanna call them highly automated, you wanna call them autonomous, um, but they definitely, they definitely pose some interesting questions as to whether or not they're already here. Mm -hmm. um, and then, then there's the other kind of class of systems, which people I kind of I feel like in this discussion people always kind of bring to to mind. They they bring their assumptions. So either if I say autonomous weapon system, someone could think Patriot mm -hmm. or a landmine even. Uh -huh. um, yeah, and then another set mm -hmm. of people are going to say, oh no, it's Terminator, right? No, mm -hmm. it's actually like high artificially and highly artificially intelligent mm -hmm. um, it's a learning agent mm -hmm. it's it attacks mm -hmm. people it's anti-personnel right um, and so there's just kind of this this big spectrum of like what the technology could actually end up looking like and sure. it depends on where you draw those boundaries for the definition 
So who's drawing those boundaries right now? Well, uh, France, for instance, has a pretty um, down the spectrum, kind of further along towards like the Terminator style definition uh-huh. of autonomous weapons, which then enables it to say that it has no intention of building autonomous weapons because they've defined themselves mm-hmm. in, in a position yeah. that it's, it's very, very technically mm-hmm. um, robust. Likewise, I would say um, the United Kingdom is is also kind of on that end of the spen- on that end of the spectrum as well, where their definitions for autonomous weapon systems are also um, technologically like way more advanced than something like um, the ICRC's definition, mm-hmm. which the ICRC's definition wants to draw that boundary. You know, that would include the Patriot and yeah. everything mm-hmm. else. Now, mm-hmm. the ICRC isn't saying that those things have to be prohibited. They just mm-hmm. want to say this is what this we is mean. Yeah. This I'm is saying. the this is the scope. This is the set of possible things. Mm-hmm. Within that set, are there problematic areas? Mm-hmm. Not this is the the scope of things, and we must ban them. That's not you know the ICRC's not going to take a political position on that um, because they're the ICRC. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, so I think I think that in the United States is a little bit trickier. Um, I think the U.S. The U.S. currently has a policy. It's 30009, um, and it's the it's a DOD directive um, that basically outlines what um, what needs to happen with autonomous and semi-autonomous weapon systems, mm-hmm. and it sidebars mm-hmm. cyber weapons in that directive. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So it acknowledges. It acknowledges. And it says we're not dealing with this. It said, right yeah, exactly. That's this directive, super interesting. This directive only applies to kinetic weapons. Okay. Um, and and it's basically it outlines kind of like what the necessary steps are for testing, verification, validation, mm-hmm. what can what kinds of weapon systems can be used in which types of circumstances, mm-hmm. and if that policy, um, if you want to like transition, you know autonomous systems from um, one domain to like anti-personnel use or something, mm-hmm. then you would need the sign-off um, from three undersecretaries of defense. So is it this, it feels almost like there's this kind of nebulous AI-ish component yep. that's mm-hmm. kind of even what computer science is struggling with of mm-hmm. what do we mean when we say artificial intelligence? It's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and right now, the, and I would say right now that the DOD is just like, Bob work is on a on a steady march towards just wanting more and more AI. So, mm-hmm. you know, they they want to enable greater AI um, adoption throughout the military system, uh, or through, throughout the department, and then throughout weapon systems as well as throughout intelligence functions, mm-hmm. um, because they need the AI for intelligence and um, analysis. Sure. So, in fact, it was just yesterday that Defense One actually published a. Uh, an article on um, the automated what was it called? Um, it's basically uh, it's basically AI for warfare. It's like <laughs> wow, and it's a, a new cell that they're trying to fund. They need seventy million. Um, yeah, I was that to build like automated intelligence gathering, like yeah. going through all the aerial mm-hmm. footage and yes. to service? Mm-hmm. I think I saw that. Yeah, tweet for my tweet. Yeah, exactly. And so this was. And if so, if you if you if you see that this is what they're doing, what they really need is machine learning to be able mm-hmm. to do the video analysis and the behavior analysis of, right. of all of that. Then, what you what you quickly come to realize is that if you can do if you can automate that, mm-hmm. you can automate 
almost any part yeah. of the intelligence gathering right. process. In fact, the you just need to weave it together in various ways. Mm -hmm. So you could have one net doing one thing and mm -hmm. one net doing another thing. And if, as long as those nets are connected, mm -hmm. um, it's some kind of way that they can do transfer learning between the two of them. Uh -huh. <laughs> you don't need a human to do that analysis. Right. Um, so if I was Andrew, or I was thinking as Andrew, I'd say, this terrifies me because mm -hmm. we've been talking on the podcast for a long time about machine learning and how uh -huh. we don't, you know, oftentimes, especially with these deep learning networks, we don't even really know why they're doing what they're doing. That's right. right. right? They're not really Because what are the algorithms? Who's writing exactly. the algorithms? And then yeah. we talked about algorithmic bias before yeah, yeah. in other podcasts. Mm -hmm. So how do you see all of this kind of feeding into this if these are now essentially taking the place of humans as the intelligent part of the intelligence gathering? I think it's, I mean... I think there's always going to be human intelligence, right? So mm -hmm. I, you, you can't get away from human. Right. But I think what we're doing is we're, we're kind of creeping into this notion that, like, signals intelligence is, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to maybe, like, instead of saying it's, like, 50-50 mm -hmm. um, or maybe 70-30, you know, where we really rely on humans 70% of the time and, you mm -hmm. know, signals 30% mm -hmm. of the time, I think what's going to do is it's probably going to it's going to flip. Right? It might flip, but it seems to me like it's still going to be where human is the entree because the human, it tells you where to find the signals. Is that kind of how you understand it? Well, yes and no. So, I mean, it really depends on how dark you want to go. So, okay. um, let's go dark. Let's go dark. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> Why not? And then we can come you back. Know? You can always come yeah. back. All right. All right. So let me put, <laughs> as I was saying to Heather before, I mean, let, let me put my evil genius hat on. Perfect. So, um, it's handy, handy to have one. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. So like my evil genius hat basically says things like, um, well, for example, I, I spent a lot of time in Britain. Um, so London is the most, you know, widely surveilled, heavily mm -hmm. surveilled city in the world, right? Mm -hmm. There's CCTV on like every single, every single building and, you yep. know, you you you're always being watched. Um, now that footage, right? Like, no human can go through that amount of footage, yep. right? Mm -mm. And so what they do is, if there's an incident, you know, mm -hmm. then they'll go back to mm -hmm. it. Um, but what if you didn't have to, right? What if you mm -hmm. just basically had the notion of like predictive policing through yep. AI on mm -hmm. that type of surveillance, mm -hmm. as well as right what we've seen with with exploits that I can monitor your communications, right? right? Like right. if you're an, if you're a subject that even is even if you're doing it publicly, right? Cuz we can we can scrape all that data off of Twitter, we can mm -hmm. scrape all that data sure. off yes. of Facebook. Everywhere. We can we can create a really really good picture of somebody from their public fa facing profile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then and then I can watch them as well. Mm -hmm. And I can create a very very detailed um, picture of their lives. Um, that's without even having to do some serious hacking, right? right? Like, that's all public. Right. So I kind of feel like, you know, the the impetus towards creating this AI is actually to know more and more and more in greater and greater greater detail mm -hmm. about every single person at every single moment in time. Yeah. So you so get... Cranking the, up the surveillance to 11. Exactly. Mm -hmm. you, you crank up the surveillance to 11, and then, right, you don't have to worry about, you know, do I build the most exquisite F-35 possible with, you know, nuclear weapons on it, mm -hmm. I actually can crawl inside the head of everybody and mm -hmm. I can then pinpoint when something's going to happen and mm -hmm. use more minimal amounts of force. Sure. But that's assuming that you can do that mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. also assuming that that's not going to have some seriously bad effects on, like, public as a whole. Right, right. So right. I just kind of feel like the, the impetus towards AI has 
a lot of really good stuff that it can do, right? Really great applications, mm -hmm. like DeepMind and DeepMind Health, right? Mm -hmm. Great app great applications. Um, I think for like human security, we can, you know, AI for good, but it also has like the potential to go really dark. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, um, I, I worry that the states are going to mm -hmm. continue to kind of go. It seems like a natural progression to me, but maybe I'm a pessimist in yeah, this case. Well, how do you even, is there even a way or a possibility though to sort of manage that like tilt to good? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, with the algorithm and the algorithmic bias and like the human, the, the machines making decisions and all this stuff, like they're gonna, they're, they're already doing it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're already doing it. Um, I think what we have to insist on from this point forward is greater transparency mm -hmm. um, from companies utilizing AI and how mm -hmm. they're doing it, and then instilling in those companies a better, bigger, broader set of ethics mm -hmm. and ethical training about what they're doing and, and the mm -hmm. impact, like where'd they get their data? Right, right. Right? How did they code their data? Yeah. Is it um did they did they hand code it? Mm -hmm. Um was it a was it a learning system that it was, you know, online learning did it itself, mm -hmm. right? Well then we need to interrogate the system in, in various mm -hmm. ways. We I would also say that um at this point in AI what we also need to really focus on um is getting the machines to tell us when they're uncertain. Oh, that's interesting. Right? So we can't interrogate the system, mm -hmm. but the system can interrogate itself. Right. So it needs to then give us a better reading on when it's making kind of jumps, right? Yep. Like, uh huh. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, in a deep neural net, like if you've got a hundred layers or something, like there's just no way Absolutely. that you're going, mm -hmm. that you're going to exactly. have any way of pulling out why it made that one decision mm -hmm. at that one time. That's right. Um, and, you know, if it has, Lord only knows, millions of examples mm -hmm. or something that it's drawing off of, you, you, you just don't know. Um, so if you give it, if you deploy a system in a, in a state that it's never seen before, mm -hmm. Um, in an environment that has never seen before. It's going to make a determination on whatever. Mm -hmm. It's going to complete its task given the environment. But because it's never seen the environment, it should hopefully give you some sort of like barometer mm -hmm. on, right. you know, boy, I think I should do this, but like my mm -hmm. net is telling me that this is kind of on a, on a, on a weird zone yeah. over here, yeah. right? Um, and, so and that's exactly what's happening in, there's a, I'm sure you're aware of it. There's a whole field of adversarial machine learning yeah, that's GANs. coming up with yeah. computer science and computer security people yeah. contributing to mm -hmm. that too, because they take this kind of adversarial mindset to these things. Mm -hmm. And there's this paper where the images they take pictures of oh yeah, yeah. monkeys or buses and mm -hmm. change pixels on them just enough mm -hmm. to get it to classify as kind of anything they wanted. Yeah. And you look at it, you'd be like, well, that's a monkey, clearly. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and so yeah, it's exploiting these kind of yeah. These, well, there's the adversarial there's the adversarial images that mm -hmm. that do this. Um, which, by the way, I have I have a, a t-shirt design. If you guys want it, it's 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 an adversarial image of a of like squiggly lines, mm -hmm. and it says, "Don't worry, killer robot. I'm really a starfish." <laughs> so in case awesome. it's in case that's it's scanning like for that. you, it's you're gonna it's we gonna see. We should probably put that in our podcast logo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Um, and um, Gary Marcus actually had had uh, printed one off and wore it to a Google meeting. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and awesome. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, the, the adversarial images are definitely a problem um, because, right? Like we see 
we see in 3D and we see in mm -hmm. a very yes. different way, mm -hmm. yes. right? We also understand context and concepts. That's right. Right? Yeah. And so right now AIs don't understand concepts, mm -hmm. right? They just see edges, right? And then mm -hmm. they say, oh, okay, when, you know, this layer I see this pixel and this layer I see this edge yep. and this yep. layer I see this and then, you know, at the end, I spit out, you know, that that's monkey. Yeah. But if you tweak just the right ones in each layer, uh -huh. it's not doesn't have a concept of monkey, right? Right, exactly. So and that's, right. And that's the thing know. that's fascinating to me. It's because we, you know, what is it learning, right? And, yeah. And that's yeah. kind of... It's an know. alien intelligence. This is the thing, I think, mm -hmm. that no one really wants to wise up to, is that artificial intelligence is intelligence, mm -hmm. right? It is, mm -hmm. it is definitely intelligence. And so it, it grates me every single time I hear one of these old crusty white guys in AI talk to me about solving intelligence. Mm -hmm. There's no, intelligence isn't a problem, right? right it doesn't right. require <laughs> solutions. Yeah. Um, you know, you can build different kinds of intelligences. Uh -huh. And so artificial intelligence is really, right, it's an alien intelligence because it has different sensory perceptions. Uh -huh. It has different, um, it sees mm -hmm. different things than we would see. You know, yeah. if it if it doesn't have context and it doesn't understand concepts, right. mm -hmm. and you give it a ton of data, it's going to find the statistical correlations exactly. in that pattern yep. of data right. because it's doing math. Yeah. Right. Like there there's no magic genie in the mm -hmm. computer mm -hmm. That's right. telling you it, it's it's basically probability mm -hmm. distributions, yeah. right? And so, yeah. So I just think that like the moment we kind of start understanding that this is going to be intelligent, but it's not going to think like us. Mm -hmm. It's not even going to remotely sense like us, and mm -hmm. we need to we need to treat it and, and come to it in, in such a way that we would come to another intelligent being uh -huh. um, that is not a human, right? Mm -hmm. So like. So I wonder if I, that's super really fascinating. I wonder if you'll see a split in AI where you have people who start going towards more artificial human intelligence, mm -hmm. right? And then you have other people who are fine studying, I like this alien intelligence. I yeah. It's, it's scary, but fun. Well, I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> I wrote this article for The Conversation earlier this month, and or last month, and um, <laughs> we're in May. Oh. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I said, look, you know, like, animals, right? Like, the mm -hmm. way, like, I used to train dolphins for the Navy, um, and, you know, those are highly intelligent mm -hmm. creatures, right? They don't speak English. They have their own language, mm -hmm. so do AIs, mm -hmm. right? They can teach themselves their own languages. Um, it, but the way in which you you interact with them is such that, you know, like you both have to find a common mode of communication yeah. through the interface, and you both have to kind of try to understand one another. Mm -hmm. um, but you're not going to say to your dolphin or to your dog, like, mm -hmm. hey, make my financial decisions for me today, right. unless you're pretty certain that that intelligence is capable of doing those types of things. Yeah. Um, so the tasking of these things mm -hmm. becomes incredibly important. Like, what are we delegating the tasks? What tasks mm -hmm. are we delegating? And are they capable of making those, yep. those decisions? And if they are capable, that's one thing. What should we is another thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so this could kind of full circle back to the autonomous weapons thing is like, when you think about autonomous weapons and AI, I always think to myself, what would an autonomous weapon try to be, what would it try to optimize? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the answer is killing, right? The answer mm -hmm. is death, destruction, and damage yeah. because that's what weapons are for. That's right. And so then you have to think like how you would be building such a, a system mm -hmm. and what would be your training data? Mm -hmm. like. Who would be in your training data? Right, right, yep. yep. You know, Whom, and who, who's making those choices? Who's making right. those choices? Yeah. Right. And the fact that you know, if you're in something like a global war on terror, uh -huh. and your hit list 
looks very similar, mm-hmm. there's your algorithmic bias too, yeah. right? Because yeah. then if I put my evil genius hat on, what do I want? Man, I better start like getting, you know, sleeper white guys to, to start yeah. doing terrorist attacks because right. yeah. because the, the, the profiling of whatever somebody would see right. um, is going to see a unique type of image. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say, well, use women, use children, use yeah. other races. I was going to say that. Stuff. So keeping, keeping on your evil genius hat, mm-hmm. because it's something we always like to do in computer security, is say, okay, let's say we have these autonomous weapon systems. Now, what do the bad guys, what do the adversaries yep. start mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. do in mm-hmm. response to that? So thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I would, so. You already talked about it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if I were a bad guy, um, you know, the best thing to do is to deceive, Mm -hmm. right? Deception is, right, the art of war, right? Go go Sun Tzu. Um, And so, like, I think what you would be doing then in deception with autonomous systems is trying to stay ahead of the algorithm, right? Mm-hmm. So then you have to figure out, right, like what kinds of these systems, are, what what kinds of systems are deployed and what are they using, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. unfortunately, right, military, well fortunately and unfortunately, militaries are very structured and organized and so they usually do things on a very timely schedule and, um, and they use certain things to their advantage. If they're too routine, that becomes a liability, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. you can, you can script um, quite easily. So I think I think, you know, you you'll see a lot of a lot of unexpected behavior, right, from people mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. like if they were faced with autonomous systems. Yeah, I'm um, thinking like shirts with like kids on them or something. Like I don't know. Not even that. Like you could have an adversarial image, right? Yeah. Like, don't worry, yeah. kill a robot. I'm a starfish, right? Like yep. you don't. I mean, you could you could you'd start to use those types of things. Um, you know, we already see actually some movement right now in wearable technology. Mm-hmm that is trying to obscure facial image, facial recognition. Oh, right? that's interesting. Right, mm-hmm. so there's there are some people around that are now trying to use like different types of materials mm-hmm. um, to be able to get like privacy back through sure. wearable. Um, the it's other very thing- cyberpunk. It is yeah. very cyberpunk. Um, so I think you're gonna see like, you'd see an uptick in that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I also think like in terms of um, that kind of mass surveillance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, So in the mass surveillance side of things, I think what you'd see is people who are bad guys would want to be able to disappear but not disappear mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. if you live in a mass surveilled society um, you can't go dark right because yeah. because that going dark is a sign that something something's not there so you have to be seen without being seen yeah um, which I think is very interesting right and like how then do you weave these alternate personalities right mm-hmm. how then do mm-hmm. you you know so we have like you know, people steal your identities today because they want to like buy stuff on your credit card. Right. But what if you start having like people buying and selling identities um, mm-hmm. for nefarious purposes, not That's right. like yeah, as covers, right? Mm-hmm. Things like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So kind of Gattaca almost. It's, it's, very, it's Gattaca. very Gattaca. Yeah. It's very Gattaca. Yeah. Wow. Well, on that happy note. <laughs> well, Wait, sorry. We, no, this is great. We started off talking I, about autonomous weapon systems. I know. I yeah, I set we it up. To, <laughs> I know. I know. I stacked the deck in the first place. But there is clearly, we did not even scratch the surface here. There's there's a lot. I would love it if you would come back so we can talk more. Yeah, anytime. Awesome, thanks. All right. All right. Thank you. For more where that came from, check out the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at ASU. Mark Van Hare created our music. 
Ana Lopez is our production assistant. Our website is futureoutloud.org. Subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your fine podcasts.